Second Samuel chapter four. And if you're there, I want you to give me Amen. Second Samuel chapter four, verse four. into the message. And I love my wife too. Amen. <laughs> when I came into this ministry, I wasn't looking for a relationship. I wasn't looking for a woman. I was tired of this world. I was tired of everything I was doing. And I would think, who would accept a man infected with AIDS? Who's going to accept somebody like me? So I wasn't looking. I just wanted to build with Pastor Steve. But then God has other plans. Amen. God has his plans, and God does everything according to his will. And we just follow into it. So I thank God for that. You guys ready? You guys there? Second Samuel 4, verse 4. Let's go ahead and read it. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled. It says, in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jerizo. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as he fled... In her haste, he fell and became lame or crippled. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now let's go to 2 Samuel 8, 15. Second Samuel 8, 15, let's read it. So David ruled all Israel. He did what was fair and right for all people. Let's pray. Father, I come before you, Lord, and I just ask you right now, God, just to take control of me behind this pulpit. Lord, I pray that you take, Lord, this word and you pour it upon everyone in this place. And let your anointing, your Holy Spirit, Lord, minister to every heart. That they hear the voice behind the voice. That they hear the legacy of Pastor Steve here tonight. God, I ask you that you move in a special way. And I ask you, Lord, that you remove whatever would want to stop what you want to do here this night. Lord, your Holy Spirit is already here moving in our lives, and I thank you what you're going to do. I praise you. In Jesus' name, we all say amen, amen. You may have a seat. Amen. These scriptures that we're, we just read are very key in the message we're going to be receiving here tonight. Amen. And like I said, it's an honor to be doing one of my pastor's messages. Amen. And this message, if you're going to be taking notes, is how low can you go? Amen. How low can you go? I remember that my pastor, Pastor Steve, would say that this was one of his favorite messages and that he would try to at least speak it once a year, even though he knew it was very important to always bring something fresh behind the pulpit. Amen. But every once in a while, this was okay to do. And, and when he did it, it was this message or one of his top favorite messages. He had like six favorite messages. And he would travel all over the place and preach certain messages. Amen. And I'm sure they got him here in the packet where you can hear his messages. And this was one of his messages that he, he liked to speak to us. And I've heard it. And, 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 and I had the privilege uh, of getting ministered by this message. Amen. And so this message, I pray that it's going to minister to you like it ministered to me. See, church, you got to understand. God has called you to sit in heavenly places. Amen. To be a royal priesthood. See, we're not to be in low places. Not to, to be down and out. You see, we're here to be above the things of God. Can I get an amen? See, we're not supposed to be sitting down low with the devil. Huh? We're not supposed to be sitting in those lowly places. No way. 
We're supposed to be above where God wants us to be. You see, that's why Pastor Steve called or titled this message, if you're going to take notes, like I said, how low can you go? See, God wants us to be above, not below. So don't sit in those low places. Like Pastor Steve would say, we, want, we, we should see how, fly, how high we can fly. Amen. And forget about pie in the sky. I remember Pastor Steve saying, forget about pie in the sky. Amen. See, I want us to go now to chapter 9 and read verse 1. See, we deserve the best because we're children of the king. We're children of the king of kings, lord of lords. How can I get an amen? Now here in, on chapter 9, verse 1, are you there? It says, David asked, is there still anyone left in the house of, of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? He says, for Jonathan's sake. Years ago, there was a covenant between David and Jonathan. And then here in, in 2 Samuel 9, 2, if you want to read it with me, it says, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. This was the servant of the household of King Saul. And his name was Ziba. He wasn't family, but he was a servant of God. He was the only one that was left, or so they thought. He was the, the one that you're going to be hearing about him tonight. You see, it was King David, top dogs. It was the king, FBI, so to say were investigating who was this man there was the ones who were always around King David these are the ones I'm talking about during warfare during the, the, the certain times that when the king he always has an inner circle who, who knows what I'm talking about the king always had people around him and King David suddenly one day said is still someone alive for Jonathan's sake not Saul's sake for Saul's sake was not he, for he wasn't much of a king. But Jonathan, you see, he was almost like a brother to David, a blood brother. He was his best friend, say best friend. And suddenly, just like that, David comes out and he says, is anyone still left in the house of Saul? You see, this is how sometimes a minister thinks. Just suddenly thinks of something and says it. He says, is, is anyone left in the house of Saul? What? What did he say? You see, ministers sometimes have minds like that. Well, what? Huh? Did Pastor Seven think like that? Did Pastor Seven say that? And that's how ministers tend to think. They think and then they say it. Like my wife was saying, Pastor Steve always threw out gold nuggets. He was thinking, then he would throw it out. I remember I used to drive Pastor Steve whenever I would drive him, say, to Oakland, or I would drive him to down Oregon or somewhere. And we'd be talking. He'd be driving. He'd say, write that down, Richard. Write that down. And i write it down. And I still got those notes in my notes over there stashed away. Or he'd be behind the pulpit, throw, and he'll throw nuggets out. And you got to write them down. And that's how ministers think. And this was how David was at that time. He was thinking, and just he would say or blurt it out. And then King David suddenly asked, is anyone still alive from the household of Saul? Is anyone still there? And those who were around him, those, those, those FBI guys, the, the, the inner circle, they began to investigate. They began to 
to see who, who he was talking about or investigate what, what it was it that he wanted. And they, would, they came up with the name, Ziba. And then they called them before the king. Let's go read that in, in 2 Samuel 9, 2. And then there was a, Saul, a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And, and the king said to him, verse 3, is there, not, is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Wow, can you imagine that? David right away started thinking again. This was Jonathan's friend. This was, I mean, Jonathan's son, his best friend. Wow, he was there and he, and he heard the news. Did you know that that was his best friend? Somebody that he made a covenant with years ago. You know what best friends are? Have you ever had a best friend? You know, did you know that Pastor Anthony and Pastor Chucky were best of friends? Yeah, they were best of friends before they came to, to God. They said that. Chucky came into the home just so he can be with his friend Anthony. And he came into the home. But after a while, Chucky saw that Anthony, his staff at the time, wasn't giving him any breaks from the rules of the home. And you know what happened? Chucky got mad at him. And for a whole month, didn't speak to, to him. He didn't speak to Anthony because he wasn't giving no breaks. This is a true story. And God finally started to deal with Chucky, and Chucky finally surrendered his life to God. And after a while serving God, Pastor Steve said in his very message that one day Dick Mills prophesied over Chucky. You guys know who Dick Mills is, right? He's the one who gave us our scriptures, Isaiah 45, 2 and 3, and, and Isaiah 54, 2 and 3. Our promise. So, so God told Chucky that he was going to be his best friend. Plus, he told them that a lot of other scriptures. You know how Dick Mills gives you a whole bunch of scriptures? And so afterwards, at the fellowship, Pastor Steve tells Chucky, hey, Chucky, this is it. This is your last meal with Anthony. He says, says you got to cut him. He's not going to be your best friend anymore. God is. And so that's what happened. And God and Chucky became best friends. And even up to now, to this day, Pastor Chucky's been all around the world, from the Philippines, Indonesia, South Africa. He's been doing all kinds of things for God. And God has been at his side. You know, God became his best friend. He's now married, has two children. We just see them in, in couples. And we had a good time with him talking, fellowshipping me and my wife. And God provided for him all this time, and he never had to go look for a job. God always came through. You know what a best friend is. You know what a good friend is. You had good friends. But can you imagine that after a long time, as ages go by, like if Anthony and Chuck hadn't seen for each other for a long time, and then all of a sudden Anthony says, hey, is anyone of Chucky's family still around? You know, is there, is there anything that, that, that maybe there's a family that I can, I, I can bless? And this is how David was at that time. He was like this with David and Jonathan. They were tight. They were friends. And then suddenly David hears that Jonathan had a son, that he had a son that he heard about. Can you imagine how his heart felt? It was like, wow, Chucky's got a kid. Huh? He's alive. And that's how King David felt. He heard like he, like he had a friend and, and he had a, a son and he, he got excited. 
And he goes, oh, and I'm the king here. And I got it pretty good. I could be a blessing to this guy. And then King David asks, where is he? And Ziba says to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amalek, at Lodabar. Say Lodabar. At Lodabar. That's why Pastor Steve titled this message, How Low Can You Go in Lodabar? So King David had him brought to him from Lodabar, the house of Machir, the son of Amiel. So then Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, went before David, and he bowed down and paid him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, and he replied, your servant, sir. Let's read in 2 Samuel 9, 6, what he, what he continued to say there. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. Verse 7. And David said to him, do not fear. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore you to all the land of, your, of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. Wow. If you really read the final portion of the scripture, which we just read. If you really understand what we're saying, it's saying that there's going to be a big time buku blessings from God through David to the life of Mephibosheth. There is going to be big time blessings for him to come. And it was a minute ago that he was way low in Lodivar. He was in a place so low. And he was there now before the king. This word Lodivar in Hebrew means not a pasture, or it means a place of parched ground or unfertile soil. This is what Lodabar means. In other words, it was a place where you can't produce absolutely nothing. Can anything good come from Lodabar? Can anything good come from Hayward? Can anything good come from your family? So Lodabar means a place of not a pasture or parched ground. It was an unproductive place. How many of us here before were unproductive? I know I was. How many of us found ourselves living in that low debar, producing nothing for ourselves, for our families, wasting our lives, hiding out? We, a lot of us come from low debar. You see, church, I want you to get the full picture here. The whole scenario of what was taking place, of what was happening here at this time. You see, in 2 Samuel, the first eight chapters, David is doing a whole lot of fighting. If you read chapter 1 through 8, during this time, David is doing nothing but battles, fighting. And how many of you know that it, that's what happens when you're Christian, Christianity? We're always in battles fighting. Can I get an amen? We're always battling. In Christianity, we're taught to fight, to be a soldier. We're fatigued. I mean, it's spiritual warfare. And that's what we need to learn as a Christian. Can I get an amen? And see, that's how it was here for David. He was in battle all the time. He was fighting, regaining the territory, regaining the land. And he was there always from one through eight, constant battles. And see, in Christianity, we have to come against certain battles or certain spirits. 
the spirit of infirmity, sickness, disease, the spirit of pylon, which is a spirit that kills you slowly, spiritually, that wraps you around, the next thing you know, you're out. And there's a spirit of Jezebel, which is a spirit of lust, that comes upon us. These are different spirits and battles as Christians we need to learn to fight. And one of the most or the strongest spirits or the main spirit that they always have to battle is the, the spirit of battle against money. A lot of people give into the spirit. You know that spirit? It hits you every time they pick up the tithes and offerings. It hits you every time they pick up the tithes and offerings. And if it doesn't, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. It controls. Money controls. And the more money, the more power it has over people. You see, this is life. This is Christianity. And we need to know that we're in warfare. Say warfare. So if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to learn how to fight. You've got to learn how to be quick to fight the lies of the devil. You see, the devil, he's a father of all lies. And he wants to fool you. He wants to, he wants to lie to you. He wants to tell you you can't. He wants to tell you you're no good, that you failed. You, you failed. You see, that's the way the devil is. He's the father of all lies. So here up to now, King David is doing nothing but battling, fighting, fighting his enemy. So then, just as sudden as the nurse drops the baby, in this chapter 9, all of a sudden we're reading it, David asks, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Remember, up to now, there was a whole lot of fighting, chapters 1 through 8. And then all of a sudden, David asks, and he wants to know if by chance or if by God, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul? And it's during this investigation that I mentioned earlier that David and his, had his assistant huh, who came up with this name, Ziba. And again, Ziba was not from the household of, of Saul, but he was a servant of Saul. And once Ziba is brought before the king, King David asked him the big $64,000 question. Is there still anyone left living in the household of Saul? Talk about panic city. He was trained in the streets. How many of you were trained in the streets? Mom's the word. Huh? I ain't no snitch. Hey, they're not going to put a snitch jacket on me. Huh? That's how we were taught. We were taught not to say things. And all of a sudden, he's got to say something. Ay, 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 híjole. Huh? This man, he's in front of the main man. He's in front of the king. And so he panics. Man, I'm in a terrible rut right now. Huh? The king wants me to say, who? And you see, Ziba no doubt was already afraid. For he thought for sure his life was scissors. It was over. What? What's the opposite of fear? Faith. But he was afraid. He thought he was safe in hiding. He thought that it was okay that where he was in Lodebar, that maybe one day, they would find him, but not right now. Now, I want you to stay with me. This is a story. Ziba was hiding now for years. It's been years, and he thought he can begin to start to come out now. And he was 
Finally, he could maybe walk around a little bit. To walk away from Jerusalem where everything was happening, at, where the king was at. And to know that all this time he's been hiding. That he made a good escape. And, for he, and because he had brought Mephib Mephibosheth with him there. And now it was many, many years. Little by little, he started to inch himself back to Jerusalem. And after all those years, now he was starting to walk around and, and nobody noticed him. You see, you got to remember that he belonged to Saul's household. And whenever a new reign took over, they would kill everybody in that household. And so he thought he escaped. He thought he made it. And so he's escaped with, with, with his, his master's son. And now he was walking around, and he was thinking he made it. And then all of a sudden, some come knocking at the door. The king wants to see you. Oh, my God. They pulled my covers. They, let, they ratted me out. And, and, and he was now facing the king. And the king asks him, is there anyone left? And Ziba He's thinking, man, it's over for me. Wow, I had a good ride while it lasted. Man, I'm the last of the Mohicans. Huh? And he was. He skated more than the rest of all the, old, of the household of Saul. All of them were now dead. And he was the only one. He goes, ah, everyone's dead except for me. And that next guy I'm going to give up right now. Huh? That day had come, and he was in front now of the king, certain that his wrath was about to come upon him. But King David represents King Jesus. And so he was there before the king. And just like some of you here tonight, right now, you're before King Jesus. You know, King Jesus wants you to sit at his table tonight. You know, a lot of us, though, come in being taught like Ziba. In Spanish, in the culture, they used to tell us as kids, Te va a Dios. God's going to get you. So we panic. You know, whenever we did something wrong, Te va a Dios. God's going to get you. And so we panic, and that's how we grew up thinking about God, that God was going to get us. So I can't tell God I'm a drunk. I can't tell God I'm a thief. I can't tell God I'm a liar. I'm a drug addict. Because we panic, and we think that God's going to get us. But you know what? God knows already you're a drunk, a liar, and a thief. Huh? God knows already. But that's the way we are. We think that he's going to get us. We think. That God is like that, but he's not. You see, that's why we read 2 Samuel 8.15 in purpose. Remember, King David represents King Jesus. David did what was good and just for all his people. David was good and just to all people, except for Ziba? No. For God so loved the world. God loved all sinners. Not just some. Oh, except for me. I'm, I'm a bad sinner. You should see the things I do. And I'm a leader. Huh? 
We get like that. We panic. For God so loved the world. David was a good and just man. King Jesus does justice. You see, Ziba had been trained in the household of Saul. Saul was a rather tyrannical. He was a tyrant, a dictator. Saul ruled with an iron fist. He ruled out of fear. But King David was not like that. David was a fair man, a just guy. That's why God put him there. He was a man after God's own what? Heart. I didn't say he had a head. He had a heart, but a heart of gold. Yet he wasn't perfect, but he had a good heart. Man, what a shepherd he was. That's what I want to be. That's, I'm sure that's what Pastor Stephen wants to be. That's what you should want to be. I have a good heart. You know, you know, I may not be the smartest guy around, but I do want to have a good heart. A good heart to lead the flock as good as possible. Hey, look, I try to be fair and just. I try especially if they get out of hand. Yolanda, uh, Eric, huh? I try to get them back in line. I have to be fair and just. But Ziba, he had been trained in the household of Saul, and he thought everybody was like him, like Saul, a tyrant, a dictator. So when he was before King David, oh, he thought it was over for him. So in that split second, Ziba wonders, should I tell David the truth? Because he thought David was like him, like Saul. And once he told them, he knew he'd be history. Surely everyone would, would, would know that, he would, that he'd be gone after that. In a hot second, he'd be done. But in verse 4, the king straight up asked him, where is he? And so Ziba answered, he's in Lodibar. He's hiding. He's afraid. Once his father, Jonathan, and his grandfather, Saul, died, he was taken by some loyal people out, out of the household of Saul to hide him. He was taken to nearly, no, not nearly, but to the furthest point north of, to Lodebar. Say Lodebar. In the kingdom of Israel, if you study the map, you can see that Lodebar is the farthest point north. Way, way over there north. Huh? And, if, and, and if you was a criminal, that's where you want to be. Be hiding out in way low, low the bar. Nobody will find you in low the bar. And this is where Mephesheth was. He was hiding. He was laying low in low the bar. Trying to hide. Huh? Trying to get away from it all. He was a unproductive. He was, he was a cripple. How low can he go in low the bar? This is where he was. He was there hiding out. But you see, Mephibosheth, he was always called to sit and eat at the king's table. He was royalty. He was at his lowest point in his life, but he was called because he was of a royal lineage. Just like you and me here today. We're called from a royal lineage. We're called to be the son of the most high. It's like you have a son and you take and he takes off. And years later, you want him to come back and receive his inheritance. But he left. He leaves it all. Man, for him to have a nice house that he can, can be at, so he can be with his nice family and enjoy his life, 
to be living well, but he's hiding. He's afraid. Where is my son? He doesn't know me. Mephesobeth didn't know David. He only knew Saul, and he knew how he was. You see, the name Mephibosheth, you know what that name means? It means shameful one. Mephesobeth was one who brought shame to his household due to the fact that he was physically handicapped. His physical condition was that he was a cripple. So this brought shame. So maybe Saul mistreated him, not Jonathan. Oh, my grandson, he's not going to be able to play legal, Little League. Probably his grandfather looked down on him, mistreated him. You'll never amount to nothing. How many of you ever been told that? Yes, you have. You'll never amount to nothing. Uh, and this is how Mesebotheth was. This is how this guy, Mephibosheth, felt. He felt terrible. So what's the use, he would think. And in this message here, Pastor Steve himself shared in how him growing up in Santa Paula, a little place, a small town where he went to school, that his teacher had a contest to see who could read the most books in 30 days. And Pastor Steve said that he, he started reading. And at the end, they would announce who would be the winner. So they started announcing the winners. Second runner-up, Judy Wilson, 18 books. Oh, the class clapped. First runner-up, Richard Cerrone, 23 books. Wow, yay, they're all cheering them on. And then the grand prize winner, Steve Pineda, 33 books. Hey, everybody started clapping. Now, hey, not only could this kid play sports, but he could read. And he felt good. Well, two weeks later, that teacher slapped him and told him he was never going to amount to nothing. Sometimes some people just try to put you down. Some people just sometimes they don't believe in you. But let me tell you something. You can be somebody. You are called to be somebody. We're called to sit at the king's table. Because I myself, too, was told that I would amount to nothing. Like my pastor, we were all put down. We ran, and we had to hide out. We went to load the bar. Way low, load the bar. Pastor Steve was a heroin addict, and he overdosed nine times. How low can you go? Well, as for me, I found myself way low in Lodabar for a long time. I was addicted to PCP for many years. That's an elephant tranquilizer, in case you don't know. I was affected with HIV AIDS. I was ready to die. I was ready to be sentenced to prison for six years. I was way low in Lodabar. How low can you go in Lodebar? And I ask you, how low can you go in Lodebar? Are you still in Lodebar tonight? Are you still walking around in Lodebar tonight? Do you still find yourself in that place? Are you there right now 
But let me tell you something. Someone is here tonight, and he's come knocking on the door, and he's King Jesus, and he wants you to sit at his table. He wants you to get up and sit at his table tonight. <laughs> King Jesus is here to lift you up. But some of you are still there. You find yourself in the same rut. You find yourself hiding from your past. You're hoping it never catches up to you. But you know what? Jesus already knows about your past. And he still wants you to get up and sit at the table with him. Or maybe you feel like you can't make it. Maybe you feel that you can't be nobody. And that things are not going to change for your life, for you, for your wife, for your kids. Some of you here today feel that you don't deserve it. That maybe you, you come here bringing shame to your household. Some of you come here and you have brought shame to your family. Maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe you're crippled with, with something spiritually or, or some insecurity. There are fears, there are hurts in your life. And there's, these things are keeping you low and low devar. How low can you go? Maybe there's some kind of handicap that keeps you spiritually crippled. And the king keeps calling you, get up, sit at my table. But you just can't seem to get yourself up. You try, but then you find yourself again down and out. You find yourself again in low debar, way low in low debar, year after year. Oh, but let me tell you something. I was hiding in way low debar for many years. And I know of a man, a great man of God, Pastor Steve Pineda, my spiritual father, who's your spiritual grandfather, that he saw something in me with this message. He was able to touch my heart and tell me that God can use my life, that I can come out of low debar, and that I can sit at the king's table, that I can be somebody for God. Just like God is telling you tonight that you can be somebody for God. And with his eyes of faith, he said to me, I can be somebody. That I can sit at the king's table. 2 Samuel 9.13, it says, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. God wants you to always eat at the king's table. I tell you today, you are called to always sit and eat at the king's table. You are somebody. You are part of a royal heritage. You are part of a royal priesthood. You're part of a special legacy of the heart of the bay. You're birthed from the roots of an elder of this ministry, of a great leader of God that's known international. In Kabbos, this recently, this last week, they were talking about him. A great, all these great leaders were mentioning him, mentioning his name, his, his work, because he left an impact in our ministry throughout the world. And you're birthed from the roots of an elder great leader, Pastor Steve. So I say to you, Rio Hayward, heart of the bay, get up, take your place, and sit at the king's table. God wants you to take your place at the king's table. I want you to stand to your feet tonight. And I want to say a prayer for you here this evening. It's time for you to get up. I don't know what's been keeping you there at Lord Devar. I don't know what's been keeping you way low in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit. But God is saying, I have a place for you at my table. I don't know what cripples you. I don't know what makes you feel that you can't do it. 
but I want you to come take your place at the king's table here tonight. I don't know how long you've been there in Lord Dubai or what has you crippled here tonight. I want every eye closed and every head bowed. But you don't belong in Lord Dubai no more. You belong alongside Pastor Stebb and Michele, Sister Kelly, sitting here at the king's table.